Ooh, you're a good-looking group. It's good to be with you. And a uh, couple things uh, before we jump in and continue where we uh, left off last week with a little bit of a reminder of what we did last week, because I know a lot of you were with family or other places, and if you were here, you may not even remember what we did last week. Life is busy that way, and so we'll take a quick look at that. But uh, one, uh, Judah followed the Lord in baptism last week. Good job. It's always good to obey the Lord, and may you follow Him all the rest of your days, brother. Um, but as you saw Him baptized, you may realize I haven't followed the Lord in baptism, and uh, that would be something the Lord would call you to do. Uh, if you're wondering what baptism is, we have a booklet out in the lobby that simply said baptism, and we also have a preparing for baptism guide for the participants as well as whoever the discipler is. And so we'd just encourage you, May 6th, if that's a Sunday, uh, we will have another baptism. And so uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to obey the Lord, and uh, we relish the opportunity to help you do that. Last week also, uh, these were in your bulletins or they were handed out when you came in. Uh, we were in Romans 5 and just talked about one of the things that once you have experienced Jesus' saving power is you want to brag about Him. And, uh, and so, uh, if, if you uh, filled one of these out last week and realized I never told you what to do with it, which is true, uh, and you didn't find, somebody went and got a table and basket. Whoever you are, thank you. Thank you to whoever you are that said, that pastor forgot a key part of this thing. I will just fix this thing. So thank you, but if you got yours and you can drop it in the basket over there in the hallway, you might want to stand there in the hallway and just read some of uh, the braggings about God, or there's a table out there where you can, uh, you can fill one of these out even today, and we'll leave that up for the rest of the month. Finally, uh, the missions agency World Venture is uh, celebrating 75 years, and we're privileged to host one of the gatherings of that next Sunday night. And uh, it's always good to, to hear what God is doing in the world. It's always good. Whatever we allow to be inputs into our life is what cultivates our heart, right? We all know that. And, uh, and this would be a great opportunity to, to not just celebrate 75 years, but very much, what is God doing now? What's in the next future here? And uh, so it'll be a, a fairly quick evening with dessert and about an hour or so in here. And uh, it's for our whole Southern California arena, but we're really privileged because it's right here and uh, easy to get to. So sign up online if that's something that you're interested in. All right, last week uh, we looked at several different events trying to capture the whole of human history from beginning to end of creation. You may not be able to see all that, but there it is. The fall. And then, because of the fall, and because of Satan and what he deserved, we have hell. And thankfully, because of what God has done, we have what? Yeah, we don't want to miss that one, do we? We have heaven. Okay. So, we walked through this from beginning to end last week, and I just want to remind us of a couple things, and then we want to build upon that this morning. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. It was 100% life. 
because it was all under his dominion and control. And, and, uh, and Adam and Eve and all of creation only knew good. And, and when I use the word know, the Bible uses the word know not just to be cognitively aware, but in experience. And so the whole creation only experienced good. Now there was a warning because there was a test there in the garden. And God says, uh, eat of any of the trees of, that you see in the garden except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing good and evil and experiencing good and evil. Do not partake of that because in the day that you eat of that, you will surely what? You will surely die. And of course, they had no context for that because there was no death or anything else. Satan was given access to them. He told them and lied to them about God holding out on them when all of their experience had been just the opposite. They believed. They chose to believe and give authority to Satan and believe what he said over what God had said, and thus we have the fall. And with the fall all of a sudden now, we have this mixture of life and death. And we have a mixture now of experiencing and knowing both good and evil. Now, the reason we have a mixture of life and death and still knowing good and not just evil is because God in his graciousness and in his kindness and his patience did not lower the hammer fully in that instant. In fact, we see something about the character of God when Adam sinned and plunged the whole human race into sin, and that is he not only created the best place for uh, Adam and Eve and all creation to be, but he now works in a redemptive way to give them a future hope of reconciliation with him. And he does that, and this is a theme that picks up in the Old Testament, he does that in a way where he continue to be just, the just God, while justifying sinful people. How can he never let a single sin go unpunished? Because if he does, then he's no longer a just God, while at the same time giving grace and mercy to sinners who do not deserve it so that they might be reconciled to him and not experience the full punishment of their sin, which is hell. And we see this pictured because God caused the first death in the garden, the killing of an animal, an innocent animal, and using those skins to clothe Adam and Eve. And we have then this principle that God's justice and his mercy kiss by an innocent substitute dying in place of the guilty one and the guilty one experiencing the innocence of the one who died and being able to have a relationship with God. Now that goes on and we continue to see that until we realize, and God, well, I don't know how we realized it, God just made it clear that an animal is not a person. All the animal sacrifices in the world do not equal a person. A person's created in the image and likeness of God. No single animal is. And so what God did, well, and because there are no perfect people, there's no innocent people, God did the most amazing thing. God the Father sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus humbled himself 
to be made in the image and likeness of people. And God created a body for the Lord Jesus in the miracle that we know as the conception, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus then lived a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling everything his father said and all of the Old Testament law. And then he was betrayed and he was crucified. And as Jesus was crucified, this innocent one was suspended between guilty sinners and holy God. And holy God, the Father, poured out his wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ that sinners deserve. And as the scripture says, Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin on the behalf of sinners so that sinners might experience and receive the very righteousness of God. And so we say that the Lord Jesus, he brought life. He brought life through his own death. He overcame evil with good, or just to put it very simply, what? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And he saves in all kinds of ways. He saves us from the penalty of our sin so that no longer are we condemned by God, but we are reconciled to God. He saves us from being enemies of God, which we are naturally, so that now we're friends of God. He saves us from being children who deserve the wrath of God to being children who will only know the love and the blessing of God. And so he saves us from the consequences, the penalty of our sin. He also then will one day save us from the very presence of sin with heaven. Because this earth is contaminated by sin, it's not just the human race that has issues with sin, it's not just demons and Satan, it is the very earth. God creates a whole new heaven and earth where there will be only 100% life, no death, and they will only know good. And that's the future. Jesus saves us from hell so that we might experience heaven. From a place where there is no life and no good, only death and evil, to a place where there is only life and there is only knowing good. But Jesus also saves us on our journey from once we experience the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he continues to save us from the power of our sin until he either returns or he calls us into heaven. So that he can save us from any addiction. He can save us from having to have the approval of people all the time. He can save us from all kinds of sin so that they no longer have to have dominion over our lives, but we can experience more and more of his life. His life pushes out our experiences of death. His life and his goodness push out the evil even that resides within our own hearts once we become a Christian. So this morning where I want to pick up is, okay, I have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What now? What now? I'm not there yet, right? You're not there yet, right? Yeah, you're not there yet. 
Um, what do I do? And how do I spend this time? Well, Jesus saves. And this is a rescue so incredible, quite frankly, you have to hear it to believe it. Now, that's a, that's a key phrase right there. You have to hear it to believe it. This is not a rescue you will ever figure out on your own. It's not a rescue that will make sense in your own human thinking. This is a rescue that you have to be told about because it is so incredible. But when you're told about it and that meets with the element of faith, you believe it. And you experience more and more of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just tell you that this little symbol down here of the cross and the, and the uh, resurrection there with that is something that we actually have made into a sticker if you want to keep reminding yourselves of this. And you can put it on your car or desk or wherever you want to put it. But those are out in the lobby there because this is the gospel. The gospel is not just saving us from our sin and the penalty of sin. The gospel is all about Jesus bringing life. Jesus bringing life. The gospel is life. It's not just saving us from hell. It's giving us life, right? And sometimes we minimize the gospel. No, the gospel is all about life. And so this would be a helpful encouragement to you or something that would be helpful uh, for other people to see, why well, go ahead and get that. Now, how do we then live once we know Christ as our Savior? Uh, well, the New Testament letters reveal to followers of Jesus several things that are very important. Now, you could talk, we could go through any of the letters, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, any of the New Testament letters, and you'll find four things that these letters tell us as followers of Jesus. They are written to followers of Jesus. And here's four things they tell us. One, there's very graphic descriptions of how hopelessly dead to God all people are, and we used to be, and yet still bearing the image and likeness of God. So everybody born into this world is more dead than they can possibly realize. They're dead spiritually towards God. There's all kinds of relational deadness. Their bodies are going to die. And they're ultimately going to experience the fullness of death in hell. This is something that is worse than we can imagine. And yet we still bury some of the image and likeness of God. So we do love people. We do want kindness. There's a lot of good things because even as a non-Christian, we bear the image and likeness of God. And so there's all different degrees. I mean, some people that is so stamped out that their only thought is evil continually. But I grew up in a home that wasn't a Christian home, and there was a lot of the image of God there. Be honest. Treat each other kindly. Have a good marriage. Discipline your children and love them. So where does that come from? It comes because it was not entirely stamped out in the fall. 
That's why there's this mixture of life and death. That's why there's this mixture of knowing good and evil, because even though you're deader than you can possibly realize, there's still some of the image of God that is still there. And so the New Testament letters describe this to us. The second thing they describe is clear statements and pictures of how gloriously saved a follower of Jesus is because of the completeness of God's work in Christ. It just says in a multitude of ways how Jesus saved us and has given us life. The third thing that it, they will describe for us is this eternal life in heaven. And this eternal life in heaven is not primarily a place. It is primarily being with Christ and all of his followers down through the years. This is why anybody who says, well, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, but I don't believe in organized religion. I'm not going to spend any time with God in his word, and I'm not going to hang around with those other people who say they're Christians because, man, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They're going to have a horrible time in heaven. In fact, you have to even wonder whether they're headed that way. Because one of the things God does in our hearts when we become a Christian is it gives us a desire for more of the Lord Jesus, and we get hungry for him, and we get more desirous of doing life with other followers of Jesus. Yes, we'll get banged up, and yes, God will use that, and yes, we'll help other people in the midst of their life. That's just the growing experience until we experience the fullness of that eternal life with Jesus and all of his followers. Number four, it tells us how a follower of Jesus grows more and more into the realities of who they really are. You see, the moment that a person puts their faith and trust in Christ as their savior, they are saved by Jesus. They have an entirely new identity. And the rest of their days are to be lived out growing into or experiencing those realities. In other words, the Christian life is not getting closer to God. The Christian life is not earning more of the approval of God. The moment a person is saved, the moment they are justified, the moment they put their faith and trust in Christ and the Spirit of God comes to be within them, they have an entirely new identity. They're now a child of God. In fact, well, what are some of the new identities that we have as Christians? Let's see, let's just list some that the scriptures give us. Okay, well, that's not really an identity. That's an experience. Pardon? Okay, that's something you experience as well. Okay, let me just help you because I obviously wasn't, I wasn't very clear in what I said. Imagine that. Um, we're saints. We are the beloved of God. We are the children of God. We are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. There's a, and there's some more, right? Okay, we don't work our way into becoming that. We are that the moment we embrace Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now we live out that new identity. 
We're not becoming saints. We are saints, right? You get it. I, I hope we get it because it's often misunderstood because a lot of us grew up in homes or we're a part of a culture where our sense of value and worth and approval is based upon what we do. Christianity says, no, it's based upon what Christ has done. Now live that out. Experience that. Grow into that. A seed of wheat is a seed of wheat. It's put into the ground and it grows. My children are my children. That is their identity. They're stuck with it. (laughs) And they grow as that, right? They don't have to earn my favor and approval to be my children. They are my children. And that's the reality with us being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's, uh, let's take and uh, we could pick any book of the Bible, but we're going to pick Romans and we're going to take a quick run and look through these four different aspects of what the New Testament tells us, um, what the book of Romans tells us about these things. So if you go to Romans chapter 1, the first part of the book of Romans, the first uh, three chapters, half of the third chapter, describe how dead we were. How dead we were. Um, So just jump down to verse 18. Well, verse 16, uh, up through verse 17, Paul's saying some greetings, and he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. But look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. And he goes on and talks about how how he is made known and his attributes are seen in the created world. And yet people choose to suppress that truth because of their deadness towards God. And in fact, they move down a pathway where God gives them over more and more to their own selfish passions. And they get to the point, even verse 32, and although they know the ordinances of God, we're talking about all people here, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is the human condition because of the fall. Now in chapter 2, he goes on and says, even our own conscience, where we have a sense of this is right, and we can't even, what we impose on other people declares us guilty. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Sorry, we're just kind of picking a few verses here, but I assume you want to eat lunch today. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You see, when God was patient with Adam and Eve, why was he patient? Why did he come in his kindness and do that animal? He wanted them to repent. One of the confusing things about living in our world where there is so much good and where there's still some of the image of God present in people is we don't understand that's just the patience of God 
not lowering the boom on me and sending me directly to hell. That's just a kindness of the Lord that I do not deserve. I don't deserve to live in this Huntington Beach. I don't deserve food to eat. I don't deserve health. That's just a kindness that comes to unbelievers and believers. But to unbelievers for what purpose? To give them a chance to repent. But we just say, this must be okay. Never mistake the patience of God that he will not at some point say, your time is up. I heard a quote this past week that says, the patience of God is not the same as indifference. He allows good and evil to cohabitate for his own purposes. One of those purposes is so that people will have a chance to repent. I mean, if that wasn't true, the moment we came into this world, we'd be dead. The moment we sinned, we'd be dead. Go over to chapter 3. And here's kind of the summation beginning in verse 9 of all that he has said and just pulling verses and truths from the Old Testament. Uh, Verse 9, Paul wraps up the argument then saying, what then, are we better than they? Are we as ethnic Jews better than non-Jewish people? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Let's just stop there. I mean, we could go on, but here's the point. Here we see graphic descriptions of how hopelessly dead to God all people are, even as they bear some of the image of God. This is a condition so horrible, you have to hear it to believe it. I had no idea that this was my condition when I was a lost person. No idea. And I can still remember discussions, arguments, as I espoused evolution, I espoused that my good was more than my bad, so God would let me into heaven. And then I read this, and I realized all of that was poison of asp. It's poison. And of course, I hid under the thing of I'm a rational person. See, the beauty of the New Testament letters is it tells us just how dead we were. And it helps us to see how dead other people are. They don't know this. They're like a person walking around with a deadly disease in their body and they don't know it. And they need someone to come along and say, you're dead and you're going to be deader. I caught a ride back uh, to the Denver airport last week from a Lyft driver, and uh, it's always fun. I mean, sometimes you get in and they don't want to talk to you. 
You know, what kind of music do you like? And they turn it up loud. Okay. You just know, okay, nothing going on here, Lord. Or whatever. Anyway, you can chill out. But the one I got in, he wanted to talk. And so I always say, so what do you do? Where are you from? How long you lived here? And, uh, and so that went on for a long time. A pretty uh, angry young man, about 35 years old. And... Um, you know, tried a bunch of things that hadn't worked and all of this. So then, invariably, after about 10 minutes or so, he says, so what do you do? <laughs> and, and by the way, I, I said, I'm a pastor. You could always say I'm just a follower of Jesus, okay? Same effect. In fact, maybe even a better effect. So then, then you know the... Well, this particular personality was one that says, well, I believe in reincarnation. He, he stayed on the offensive, or he thought he was on the offense. Um, I believe in reincarnation, and you got to come back around and get a second chance to come back up better, and that's rational. He used the word rational, that's rational. I says, well, how do you know you're not going to come back as a cow in India? Uh, I, I just don't believe that. I says, oh, so you believe in the American reincarnation version? <laughs> Only upward mobility. I said, that's not rational. So he said, so what do you believe? <laughs> So anyway, I walked him through the resurrection. I mean, honestly, Easter is a couple days away, right? Good Friday and Easter. So I walked him through all that. Um, but he was starting to get nervous now. So he tells me that he had a group of three or four people one time who were trying to get him saved. That's exactly the word he used. And he says when they got to the airport, they got him out on the curb and they gathered around him and prayed for him. And he was just watching the police officer wondering where this was going. I could tell he was afraid we were headed there. And I just encouraged him. I said, do you have a Bible? Yes. Read it. Just read it. God will use his word. Because he doesn't know that he's just spewing the poison of asp. He doesn't know how dead he is. And the Spirit of God will use the word of God to do that. So I didn't pray for him. I didn't do anything else. I gave him a really generous tip and said, I hope you'll read God's word. So one of the beauties of God's letters in the New Testament is it helps us understand how dead we used to be and how truly dead everybody else is. And then it goes on and tells us and gives us these clear statements and pictures of how gloriously saved we are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, this is a rescue so incredible that nobody would believe it unless they hear it. And so look down in chapter 3. Let's just jump down to verse uh, well, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There's that whole picture of the substitute whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, as a substitute in His blood through faith and just goes on to talk about how this was a demonstration of the righteousness of God and how at the end of verse 26, he would be the just and the justifier. All sins would be paid for, and he could be gracious and merciful to sinful people. This is a saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ that is so great that it's impossible to believe it until you hear it. That's why in Romans chapter 10, he says, man, they got to hear. 
So go. Tell them. That's why Paul begins this letter by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. We can't talk people into this. It's the Spirit of God and the Word of God because it's so outlandish that God would take dead people and make them alive, that he would take them from deserving hell and give them heaven, that he would give life to dead people. It's just impossible to ever come up with apart from God making it clear. Well, the third thing is, is eternal life in heaven with Jesus as his followers. And again, this is so outlandish. How would we know anything about it unless God had told us? There's not a lot about it in the book of Romans, interestingly, but Romans chapter 8, if you jump down to verse 18, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there he's trying to put heaven in perspective for us. And he's saying the glories of what our experience will be in the presence of Christ and other believers in this place without any sin whatsoever, it's not even worthy to be compared. In other words, there's no standard of measurement that can put them on the same playing field or on the same chart. They're so radically different. It'd be like a dump truck load of sand compared to the whole beach of sand. The sufferings we go through in this world are like a dump truck of sand. The glories to be revealed, the whole beach, the whole beach. And so he goes on to talk also about how even creation groans in this. In verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, the whole resurrected body. And so heaven. But what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning is then how does a follower of Jesus grow more and more into the realities of who we are, living life between here and heaven? And again, this is a rescue so incredible that you have to hear it to believe it. Go, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And let me, let me read the few, first few verses here. Romans 6, uh, beginning of verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. 
For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. All right, there's a lot going on here, but let's look at it for a few moments because this has everything to do with how we live our lives between here and heaven. So Paul begins, and uh, the question in verse 1 goes back to the last part of chapter 5 there, and and his point in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5 is that the law comes, and when the law comes, it shows sin for how sinful it is. And the same could be said of all of the commandments of God. The beauty of the commandments of God is it's a light that comes and it shows sin for what it really is. I mean, it's easy for me to think, well, that words, those words weren't that bad. Ooh, try to look at the law. Or that look wasn't that bad. Or that thought wasn't that bad. Or that action wasn't that bad. And what the law does is it says, Ooh, that's more horrible than you could have imagined. Now, the beauty is when the law does that, what does grace do if you are in Christ, if you know Christ? Grace abounds, and the grace is greater than that, and the grace swallows up that horrible evilness and brings a rescue so that we're not condemned before God. So then Paul recognizes that some people are going to read that and say, well, I want lots of grace, so I'm just going to sin a bunch. (laughs) He well knows the sinful heart, doesn't he? And he says, God forbid, may it never be. Why? Why? Because we've been, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, there's a deadness to sin now and an aliveness to God. See, before you were a Christmas, Christian, there is a deadness towards God and a liveness towards sin. And when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, now there's an aliveness towards God and a deadness towards sin. And he uses the word baptism here. Do not think of water baptism. The word baptize literally means to go down into something. So, for example, if this was Rome... And somebody drowned at the beach. Drowned, is that even right? Drowned at the beach? Okay, yeah. Some people, that bothers. (laughs) I'm grateful for you. Yeah, keep working on me, okay? Um, If if this was Greek, uh, Greek language, and in Rome, we wouldn't read in the newspaper that so-and-so drowned in Huntington Beach Ocean. We would read that they were baptized in the ocean. They went down, and they were swallowed up by the ocean, and they are no more. Same was used of shipwrecks. What's the point there? We have been baptized into Christ. What does that mean? We ourselves in our old uh, aliveness of sin have been swallowed up in the work of Christ. We have been swallowed up in the work of Christ. Now, water baptism is a picture of that. But we have been swallowed up in the baptism of Christ. And then he goes on and uses, so that, into verse 4, so that we too might walk in the newness of life. There's a deadness to sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's ours. 
And there's an aliveness to God because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection that is ours in Christ so that we might walk in newness of life. And then he goes on and uses the word likeness instead of baptism there. Now look at verse 3, the very first, the what, two, four, five words, first five words. In New American Standard it says, or do you not know? You see that? Or do you not know? So what's Paul saying here? He's writing to these Christians uh, in Rome, these followers of Jesus, and he's saying, you know, there's something basic you should know, but I'm not too sure you know it. Do you not understand that when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you died to sin because of what Christ did? And there is an aliveness to God because of what Christ did. And as Christ died to sin and is alive to God and lives to God, so you as a follower of Jesus are to be dead to sin and alive to God. The Romans didn't get this probably any better than we do. And so he walks through this in great detail. And so this is what we must know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you must know that. What Christ did and what he saves you from is the power of sin in your life. There is a deadness to sin which is available to us as followers of Jesus. And there is an aliveness to God that is available to us as followers of Jesus because of what Christ did. We must know that. And then verse uh, 11 moves into the personal application. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This isn't just something to know out there as a great doctrine. Count it as true for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it would be important for you to say, I am dead to sin and alive to Christ because alive to God because I am in Christ. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. We have a new master. We have a new ruler. He wants to exert his reign of life in our lives. And so we must not continue to give our mortal bodies the way we think and the way we look, the things we look at and the things we talk about and the things we do over to sin anymore. It's, we need to practice being dead to it. And so he gets really specific here and do not go on presenting. And it literally it means stop presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And he goes on and says, especially in 16, there's a growing sense of authority that takes place in every one of our lives as followers of Jesus. Either the authority of sin will grow and death, or the authority 
of God will grow in life. And he says, we need to know this, we need to count this true with us, and then we need to act upon the truth and live in it and start saying no to sin. I'm not going to think on those things that are sinful. I'm not going to use my tongue in sinful ways. I'm not going uh, to do other things that are sinful. Rather, I'm going to offer myself up to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, and I'm going to start using my mind for things that honor Him and honor people. I'm going to start using my eyes to look upon things that honor Him and honor people. I'm going to start using my tongue to speak the things that bring grace to people, bring the gospel to people, and I'm going to give the rest of my hands and my feet and my body and I'm going to use it as instruments of righteousness. And what happens in the Christian life then is the more that you choose to be dead to sin and alive to God, the more the life of God begins to flow into your life. Now, it'll be a battle until we die. But that means becoming more of what we are. So each one of us are either at one of two places this morning. Oh, and by the way, uh, that's a rescue so important. I mean, some, of, some, some are stuck in addictions today. You don't have to stay stuck in them. Some of you are stuck in the approval of other people. I mean, that's what you think about. When you go to get clothes, when you, you're, you're in school, uh, you're in positions, you're not thinking about how does this honor God? How can I be used as a servant of His? All you're thinking about is other people. Uh, some of you, it's just things that are clearly named as sin, and you are stuck in it, these sinful habits. You do not have to be if you know Christ. Now, you may have given them great authority, but God is bigger. God is bigger. And if you're in that place today, I beg you to listen to the words of Scripture do you not know? Well, now you know. Count it as true of you, not just of other people. Make the personal application. And then start, stop offering up your body as an instrument to sin. Start offering up your body as an instrument of righteousness to God. Now, it could be that you're here this morning and you realize you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And even as I read through some of the place that you're at, dead to God, the stuff you spew is just poison of asp. God has used that to say that's true of you. Hallelujah, what a good God we have. That's his kindness in helping you see the truth about yourself. And I hope you've also seen the beauty of what Christ has done on your behalf. How he died to pay for all of your sins and he was raised to give you life. Your response to him would be, I'm a sinner, I need you as a savior. And let him save you right now. Would you bow your heads please? If you need to put your faith and trust in Christ for the first time, why go ahead. If there's a particular habit or sin or approval, something that you have been giving yourself to, but you want to live in the realities of the life 
that Jesus has saved you to. Why well, just own that as a truth for you. Own that as a truth for you. And then build into your life now the saying of no to presenting your body to sin and yes to presenting it to God. Lord, we thank you for this incredible news, this incredible gospel, the gospel of life. Not just life from hell to heaven, although that's off the charts good, but life from being stuck and controlled by things other than you. Spirit of the living God, would you apply the word of God to each of our hearts in the very specific areas we each need it so that we might experience the fullness of your life that you have for us. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.